you know, so with Maple Tree, we have different phases of exercise. We have phase one and two, which is, you know, phase one is in treatment, in chemotherapy, in radiation. Um, and then we have phase two, which is completing chemo and radiation. And so those I think would best work in a clinical setting because we want to be mindful of their immunity and we have to really monitor their intensity levels and be in close contact with the oncology team. But then as they progress on to phase three and phase four, generally by this time they're in remission, they're apparently healthy, and their immune system is not so weakened. And so what we're trying to develop is a partnership with fitness centers where we would certify them. All right, Karen. So we finally got to connect and, and speak after uh, many technological mishaps. <laughs> um, listen, I really appreciate you jumping on the call, especially being it so so late for you. Um, and I'm really excited to listen to your story and, and hear what you've you've got going on, and more importantly, how you got there. So before we jump into it, why don't you tell the listeners who you are, what you're up to, and and what you're about? Sure, sure. Well, thank you for having me on. Uh, my name is Karen Wonders. I'm the founder and executive director of Maple Tree Cancer Alliance. I am a mother of seven children, um, the seven ones of the world, and also work as a professor um, of exercise physiology at Wright State University. So keep myself pretty busy. So. Um, you you came for one of the OGs. You did your PhD at Northern Colorado, which is one of the the, the OGs in terms of exercise oncology. So, uh, talk about that experience and what made you take a leap with with Maple Tree. Well, I'll be perfectly honest. Before I started going to school at the University of Northern Colorado, I had never really personally known anyone who had cancer, and so when I interviewed at the school and, you know, presented my thesis to them and met with the staff. And, um, you know, I, I remember that they looked at me and they said, okay, well, you know, we'd love to have you come to school here. Only thing is you're going to have to do cancer research. And, you know, in my mind, I kind of had one of those freeze moments and I thought, oh no, I mean, I've never known anyone who has had cancer before. And, you know, and I knew they would do exercising training with them. And I, and I thought, well, I don't even know if it's safe for someone with cancer to exercise. And wouldn't they be too tired? And wouldn't they be too sick? And, you know, shouldn't they just rest? And all these thoughts kind of were swirling through my head. But it was an interview. And what do you say in interviews other than great? I've always wanted to study cancer and exercise. And this is wonderful. And you know, next thing I knew it, I was driving to Colorado to start a new life. And, you know, I think it was just one of those experiences where I feel like this is why I'm here on this earth. This is to work with people who are battling cancer, to help improve their quality of life, to help them through this difficult thing that they're, that they're going through. And here's something that can really and truly help them. Um, it's more than just a good idea because not only did I see these patients exercising every day and getting better and getting stronger and their mood was changing and their outlook was, changing, but in addition to the human side of things, we also had an animal lab where we would do um, exercise training with rats. We had a little rat treadmill that we would run them on and give them chemotherapy and measure their heart function. And I mean, you could visually see a difference. Look at a heart that exercises the heart that has. And really that to me is just what made me a believer. Um, and, you know, I started telling everyone I know that had cancer that they should exercise. And we moved to Dayton after I graduated. So now I'm in Dayton, Ohio. And, um, I wanted to continue that work that I had been doing. And I really believed that this was a part of the standard of care, that everyone with cancer exercised and exercise oncology labs must exist everywhere. And so I went to my local hospitals and knocked on the door and said, Ta-da, I'd love to do research here and volunteer and, you know, anything I could do. And 
they all just kind of laughed me out the door. And I was told, you know, this is not a thing and it's not safe. And I just need to go review my research. And um, it was just something that kept eating away at me. And so in 2010 was, that was the year I got tenured. And I honestly, to goodness, I remember in the summertime because, you know, professors don't work in the summer. We have very, very, very tough work schedules. <laughs> and I remember, you know, it's the summertime. I had just given birth to my third kid. I'm tenured now. And I think, okay, I have job security for the rest of my life. I could just coast and, you know, live a pretty good life and that would be it. Or maybe I can do something that I really think would make a difference and would really help a lot of people. And so that's really what led me to begin Maple Tree. Um, I thought, man, if I could help one person, that would be really cool. Never did I imagine it would have become what it is today. So to give people context, um, because I think to where you've gotten to speaks volumes of, of your own determination and resilience. How many centers have you got? Where, where, what is Maple Tree right now? And then we'll backtrack from there. Okay. So we're kind of at a rough time right now because we were growing, 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 and then boom, coronavirus hit and things have just kind of come to a standstill. So um, at present, we have 19 locations. Uh, my goal was to hit 50 by the end of this year. I think we can still get there. It depends on how long we're in quarantine. I'm still making calls. I'm still talking to people every day. Um, but right now we have, most of our centers are here in the Dayton area. We have 14 centers here. We've got one in Cleveland. We've got a couple in Pittsburgh. We've got um, one, a second one coming in Tampa. Um, we have partnerships in San Francisco that are on their way and Brazil, um, which was supposed to start on on uh, March 16th, but got delayed on account of the coronavirus. So, um, but yeah, so our hope is to expand worldwide. Um, that's that's my long term goal. One of the coolest things I like about what you do um, is is kind of in the context of when people are, for example, when I'm interviewing for jobs, they're kind of saying, look. You know, we don't have a comprehensive cancer center, so you can't do your work here. And I've no doubt that you've faced a lot of similar kind of uh, perspectives. So when you think of comprehensive cancer centers, Dayton, Ohio doesn't come to mind, <laughs> you know. So um, let's talk. Let's go back to you've just been tenured. All right. I'm going to get this off the ground. What was those first few months like? Yes. Well, it ended up being about five years. Um, that we were in one standalone facility in downtown Dayton. Um, downtown Dayton is not a tourist destination <laughs> by any means. And so it was a challenge to even get people to come to our facility. They heard about us and we offer all of our services for free for the patients. And so, you know, who doesn't want free personal training? Um, and so people would be interested and then we would say, okay, well, you know, here's our address and we would tell them where we were and they would say, oh, you know, I'm good. I'm just going to do it on my own. And, and it was difficult. So the first year we served 17 people. Um, and that was, that took a lot on me just really going out and talking to everyone that I could and just trying to get them through the door. Uh, but then after five years, I got connected with the president of a hospital foundation and shared my story with him and just told him the background and the research. And, you know, I had been doing research the whole time just because of my job as a professor, I have to do research and I love to do research. So I, I was just sharing with him. I wasn't even trying to sell him anything. It was just, Hey, you know, Hey, don't you think that exercise should help? And what do you think I should do to try to grow this organization? And just asking him for his honest feedback. And that's when he said to me, you know, I think you need to be in my hospital. So why don't you go home and write me a grant? And then he said the words to me, go big or go home. And that just so happens to be my family motto. So that's when I knew it was a divine appointment. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the, what was the grant you wrote? Like, is it big, small? Are you swinging for the fences? What was that first one like? 
No, I was scared out of my mind because I was driving home thinking, oh, you know, he might be onto something here. Um, for a long time, I had thought exercise oncology should be like cardiac rehab, that everyone who has cancer should exercise and we should model it after that. But never did I think that I would become a spokesperson for it or that I, I never had a clear path on how we would get there or, or what that would look like. And that day driving home, it's when I thought, oh, well, this is how we do it. We partner with the hospitals because not only is it better for the patients, the patients know where to park, they know where to go. It's a part of their care plan. I mean, we can do research with the oncologists and the nurses can just walk a patient down. So it's so much better and so much more convenient for them. Being in the hospitals has opened up a lot of doors for us to do a lot of the research. And some of the things that we've been able to look at is, um, you know, do the patients who come to Maple Tree versus the patients who don't come to Maple Tree? Do they have less ER visits? Do they have a shorter length of stay? Do they have less 30-day uh, readmits? And we were able to show the hospitals that, in fact, that that is true, that by sending their patients to us, not only are they having better outcomes and less symptom severity, but they're also saving money, you know, on the back end with these patients. So one of the things that fascinates me about that is is kind of how quickly you are able to um, pivot in that regard. And so when you're you're writing this grant and you're saying now we need to partner with the hospital, how how do you how does that structure work? How do you develop that referral system? Who comes to you? All that stuff. Well, the good thing about it taking five years for us to partner with the hospitals in Dayton was during that five years, I spent a lot of time going to, you know, ONS and different nursing groups and meeting with the nurses and meeting with the doctors and telling them about Maple Tree. And so by the time we were actually in their hospitals, it was almost like, we were all saying, oh, why haven't we been doing this all along? And so the relationship was already there. It was just a matter of saying, hey, now we're down the hall. So just walk the patients down. And I met with each oncologist individually and told them about our program and told them how to refer patients and how we would serve them and um, did everything I could to help them to know that, you know, I look at our role as complementary to the physicians and to the nurses and to that medical team that we want to come alongside them and help serve their patients so that these patients can continue to get this medicine that's going to save their life. And I think once people saw that we were on their team and we were all kind of working towards the same goal, um, we were just very well embraced by the oncology community. I mean, yeah, you're right. Cause People don't think of Dayton as being this cancer capital of the <laughs> world, you know, but what we've been able to do here has not been done in any other city in, in, in the country, in America. And, um, and, and I really credit that to the medical community here and just their willingness to embrace something that 10 years ago was definitely not as widely accepted as what it is now. Well, I think kind of to your point, it's almost a strength. Um, and that's my rebuttal when people talk about comprehensive cancer centers in that the comprehensive cancer centers are by nature comprehensive and are huge. And there's a lot of active researchers. And because of that, there's a lot of competition for research participants and trials. And um, somewhere like Dayton, where you not that you have a monopoly, but you have the, the space to be able to dedicate all of your resources to um, a patient population. And and if you can demonstrate that you're coming at it from the right perspective, if you get a few medical uh, folks on board, it kind of uh, almost just snowballs from there. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. And in fact, that's what got us into the Pittsburgh market, because one of the oncologists moved to Pittsburgh. And she said, how do I get you here in Pittsburgh? And I actually grew up in Pittsburgh. So for me, it was a dream come true to be able to serve patients there. But that was entirely driven by an oncologist. The, the um, health network that we partnered with, I don't think they would have ever even 
given me the time of day <laughs> just because who am I that they would even talk to me? But, you know, the fact that it came from the inside and the well-respected oncologist, I mean, they just rolled out the red carpet. They were so good to me. I think um, you were mentioning there, and it was kind of in passing, um, where you're talking about the language you use. And I think it's such a an important and probably overlooked point of there is a lot of skepticism in the medical community amongst kind of like hol- holistic and alternative medicine. And we have to be careful in framing our language around our exercise services are meant to be complementary. They're not meant to take the place of treatment and they're just trying to help people get through treatment rather than um, promoting at this kind of like save all kind of uh, intervention. Right, right. Yes, that is something I think more so early on than anything that I that I really experienced that I remember when I first started Maple Tree, I would have people come up to me and say, Oh, so you're trying to cure cancer now. And I would think, no, (laughs) no, not. I mean, I wish, but no, you know, I'm just trying to help people live well, as they're battling cancer. I mean, that's what I think. But you know, if someone exercises and adopts a healthy lifestyle, then the research shows that they are more likely to have fewer treatment breaks, and they're going to be able to tolerate their treatment better, they're going to have fewer side effects. And so they are going to do better. And so I feel like this, this is an essential part of the treatment care plan. And really, honest to goodness should be part of the standard of care. I mean, it just it makes so much sense to me that it's almost dumbfounding to think that it's not. (laughs) Uh, So when you're approaching new centers and new facilities, um, what does that model look like? You know, how do you scout the facilities? How do you approach them? What does that relationship look like? That is a good question. Um, I try to be as flexible as I possibly can with new facilities because Um, I think we have the data and we have the proof of concept. It's just a matter of finding the right fit within that new partner network because everyone deals with the same thing. Everyone automatically wants to know about cost. They want to know about space. They want to know what kind of equipment, how often are we going to be there? And I know that it's not a one size fits all approach. I mean, I always preach individualized exercise training. Well, I think it needs to be that way with a partner network as well. And so I kind of leave it up to them and I say, here's our basic model. So it's not a one size fits all approach. And we just try to be as flexible as we can, given the the needs and the abilities of the hospital that we're partnering with. And so we kind of give them the freedom to say, here's how many days per week, here's how many hours we'll do, here's how many patients we want you to see. And a lot of times people kind of want to dip their toes in the water and they might say, okay, let's do two or three days a week. And then as that grows and we'll add more. And other times people are, you know, like all in and see as many people as you can and let us know how it goes. So it, it varies a lot across the board. So are, are these predominantly um, facilities within hospitals? Are you talking to local rec centers as well? A little bit with the rec centers. We are trying to come up with a model that would fit well with a, with a fitness center. Um, you know, so with Maple Tree, we have different phases of exercise. We have phase one and two, which is, you know, phase one is in treatment, in chemotherapy, in radiation. Um, and then we have phase two, which is just completing, completing chemo and radiation. Um, and so those, I think, would best work in a clinical setting because we want to be mindful of their immunity and we have to really monitor their intensity levels and be in close contact with the oncology team. But then as they progress on to phase three and phase four, generally by this time, they're in remission, they're apparently healthy and their immune system is not so weakened. And so what we're trying to develop is a partnership with fitness centers where we would certify them and, you know, train them in our system and then allow them to conduct the phase three and four exercise training. Um, That's a model that we're working towards right now. Um, And then we also partner with universities and we have a certification that we offer and you can either take it as a university student or as just a, a layperson um, can take it as well. Um, but the university partnership, the idea behind that is trying to create a workforce 
to actually meet the need of the 17 million cancer survivors that live in the U.S. And um, so we created an undergraduate class um, where it's, you know, four weeks of instruction and then 12 weeks of hands-on training with a, with a client. And then they sit for a certification and, you know, ideally then they would be ready to go and work in the field after that. So I really like that approach um, because it kind of follows intuitively a lot of the the kind of frameworks we have in the the people who are kind of higher risk, people going through treatment or more advanced or rare types of cancer probably need a more specialized approach. But what often gets left behind is once they're done um, or people who have had cancer in the past um, are probably suited towards a general exercise program. And the, the background and expertise of the trainers in that regard probably doesn't need to be as intense as a specialized training for, for the more rare or advanced types of cancer. And by you having this model of having the intensive approach and moving towards that network spread of uh, working with fitness centers, I think that's such a cool way of, of following along that continuum of care. Mm, well, thank you. And, and, you know, we're also finding that patients, once they're in remission, they don't really want to come back to the hospital. They're ready to kind of move on with their lives and, and, you know, just live well and be healthy and continue the exercise programming. But, um, you know, if we're able to say, okay, you know, here's some fitness centers that we partner with and, you know, we can refer them there. And then knowing that they still are going to get that specialized care that they need. But you're right. I mean, someone who's in the middle of chemotherapy requires a totally different approach than someone who's been in remission for five years. So uh, what is your your kind of overall philosophy with the with Maple Tree, with how you train your instructors and, and kind of, uh, you know, kind of that holistic approach to training? Oh, that's a good question. My quarantine brain is, is on fire right now. <laughs> um. You know, it's important to me that we train with excellence and that that's how we're serving the people. Um, you know, for me, my faith is, is very important to me. And so I want what I do to be a reflection of that faith. Um, you know, it's not a requirement for our trainers to have that those same belief systems that I do. But as an organization, I want it to be considered a place where people really care about you and they want to be there to inspire you and to offer you hope. Um, because I personally have not battled cancer, but I have walked through it in my mind so many times of, you know, what would it be like to, to have a cancer diagnosis? And just, it's something that, you know, for the most part, people don't see coming and it's such a hard thing for someone to walk through. And I just, I can't imagine what, what they must go through. And I want this to be like the one bright light in such a hard time and something where people look forward to coming and they feel welcomed and they feel just loved and supported. And that's, that's really what I want to convey. Um, to my trainers, to the patients who walk in our doors, to the students that we teach. It's just that, you know, put yourself in their shoes and how would you want to be treated? And what would your feelings be if, if this was your diagnosis? And, and how would you want, how, what would you do if that was you? And, um, and I think that, that that helps them to kind of think through how to serve well. With, with, with how you're training people and you've got 17 center how many centers you got so many centers 19 19 that's okay so um <laughs> with a lot of these kind of being more uh, i suppose clinical based do you take any and all cancer individuals of cancer regardless of where they're at in treatment and when they walk in your door what's your kind of workflow in terms of here are the things we want to assess and here's the decisions we make for prescription and exercise prescription based on those assessments Yes. So to answer your first question, yes, we take anyone, any stage, any age, even if they've been in remission for 30 years, we'll still, we'll still work with them. Um, so any cancer survivor and um, what it looks like initially is they come in and they complete a fitness assessment. And that fitness assessment 
it's comprehensive. So it measures every aspect of their fitness, their body composition, their muscular strength, endurance, body comp, uh, cardiovascular health, flexibility, all of that. And then from there, we are able to create an exercise prescription that's individualized to that patient. So it's going to address all of their strengths and weaknesses, all of the things that came up. You know, we'll talk to them about their treatments and how they're responding to their treatments and any personal goals that they may have. You know, for the most part, most of our patients have never exercised before. And so the, they oftentimes will say things like, well, you know, I want to be able to pick my grandkids up or um, ever since my surgery, I'm not able to lift my arms up over my head. And, you know, they kind of say more functional movement things. Um, but then we're able to take that and put it into the exercise prescription to address those strengths and weaknesses. And then from there, they're assigned um, one of our exercise trainers and they can work out with that trainer once a week. And then they're given homework to do. We make sure they have their homework. And, um, but it's a full body workout and um, it's about an hour long session. And they, you know, they're allowed to stay with us as long as they want. We'll never turn anyone away. So we have some patients who've been with us for years. So uh, inherently, the next question is, how are you paying for this? <laughs> how, uh, what's the funding structure look like to offer this service to so many people? And, and how do you keep the lights on? Yes, well, that is an ongoing, um, an ongoing thought in my brain. Uh, but no, we are supported through the hospitals that we partner with. So many times it comes through the hospital foundation. In some instances, we are covered under the hospital overhead budget. Um, usually we'll come out of radiation oncology because in America, that is the moneymaker. <laughs> um, and then I write a lot of grants. I write about 40 to 50 grants each year. Wow. Um, yeah, I write a lot of grants. And then we do at least one big fundraiser a year. And usually, you know, I mean, we've been able to double in size every year since we've started. Um, and really, I think that's just by the grace of God, because, you know, I'm an exercise physiologist. So I'm not really a business person. <laughs> so it's been a lot of, you know, divine intervention for sure. So when when you say grants are automatically going towards like NIH and things like that, um, with, with you writing 40 or 50, I'm assuming you're going for kind of maybe community grants and, and kind of industry grants. Yes. Yes, you're smart. Yes. Thank um, you. <laughs> I have written a couple. <laughs> no one's told me that before. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you've, you've like done your homework, I, I'm thinking, because, you know, most people, when they hear grants, they don't know that there's a difference. But um, yes, mainly community grants. I have written a couple big grants before, and I've been scored a couple of times, but I've never gotten that big funding. Um, usually I'm piecing together, you know, $20,000 here, $5,000 here. And that's why I have to write so many. I I'll never turn down any grant or any donation. One time my, my six-year-old son tried to give me $5 that he won at a fishing competition. And I took it. I said, okay, I'll just give it to Maple Tree. <laughs> I'm not above it. I'm not above it. Do you know what though? Like uh, the the more people who are talked to who are in the trenches, like that's probably the more viable approach. You know what I mean? Like NIH is so competitive and you could have a stellar grant, get scored. And if you don't get it, you're out of pocket for a year. And so yeah. I think that approach of just kind of having the shotgun approach, getting these smaller pockets and building up similar levels of support, you know, while it's a lot more work, I think it's probably a, a better way of going because with what you're doing, that community-based funding is probably more appropriate as well in you don't have to report back to NIH with all your progress. You, you just kind of do the work, enjoy doing the work, and then report back to the various funding bodies in that way. Right, right. And it helps us, I believe, to stay mission-focused because it's constantly on my mind. And, you know, if you're constantly having to, quote-unquote, sell it, to community funders, I mean, it just becomes part of your everyday, everyday speech and in everything that you do. And, you know, I know that at any given moment, someone from a foundation could just pop in and see how it's going. And so I want to make sure that 
when and if that happens, that they're coming into a facility that is running well and they're smiling, happy people in the gym so that they actually can tangibly see, you know, that this place is making a difference. So you probably represent um, a lot of folks who've gone through this, not necessarily transition, but exercise physiologists by training, um, by hooker crook is turned into business person. How, <laughs> how was that as a challenge to you of being like, oh, this is actually a thing. And now I really have to dig deep and get all my, across uh, my T's and dot my I's and all that stuff. Mm. Yes, yes. That has been a process. When I first started Maple Tree, I, I thought to my, like, I put it all on paper. Here's what I want to do. And I thought, well, how hard could this be? <laughs> and then um, immediately Googled, how do you start an LLC? <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I had a lot to learn, um, but it, it's been a process and I feel like it never ends. I mean, I, I even now, I mean, I, I have felt with this, you know, we've been in America here, we've been quarantined for the last three weeks and it's going to go on for who knows how long. And we've had to completely shift every way that we do everything. And I mean, that's stretching my leadership in a way that it never has before. And, you know, um, I've learned how to read PL statements um, and, you know, I'm having to do that a lot more than what I like to. And it's just, it's continually learning and growing and just being adaptable and, and flexible. And it helps that my husband is a professor at a business school <laughs> at a university out here. <laughs> small part of the puzzle. I, I rely on him a lot. <laughs> so with that, what, what were some of the bigger, I suppose, growing pains for, for you individually or the company? <sighs> you know, I would say initially we really tried to be as lean as possible. Um, I just, being that I was a professor, I have access to a lot of interns. And so I would have student interns work as trainers, which are free. And so that was how we kind of kept the doors open for a long time while I learned how to write grants and I learned how to fundraise and do all those different things. Um, I would say that was that those were some growing pains because with interns, you have very young people who this is probably their first job or first real job, I would say in the industry. Um, and so there's a lot of, of teaching and training that kind of needs to take place there. And then there's a huge turnover because every three months you're getting a new batch of, of people. And I, I would rather have that consistency with the patients. And so it was a big deal whenever we could move from the intern model to the actual having a staff model. Um, that was a, that was a really big deal for us. And then since then, I feel like we've had little milestones of, you know, we, we started with two hospitals and then we went to five and then it was 10. And, you know, so with each milestone, it became, you know, how do we staff this? And then do we have to add these layers in, within the organization and organ, you know, organizationally, who's going to report to who and where do, where does my role fit? And so I would say that's been the biggest challenge, not as much as the resources or the money, because I just don't do something. If I don't have the money, I just don't do it. So it's very simple. Um, but you know, when someone came in about a year ago and said, hey, you really need an operations director, I thought, well, why on earth would I pay someone to do that? And then, you know, because it just, I didn't know the value in it because I couldn't see the ROI. And, you know, so I've had to learn as I go and, and really adapt, adapt this, this, this organization to reflect, you know, to, to kind of keep up with the with the needs that it was it was getting. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of fears and anxiety in in running a business and, and building it up. And some of those fears are not growing quick enough and not being sustainable. And other fears are growing too quick and and outscaling your capacity. And how did that look like for you? Were there challenges with with you kind of trying to scale out? Um. 
You know, it's funny because I'm always just the type of person that because I was warned about that. Don't grow too big. You know, someone warned that warned actually the same person who put me in the hospitals warned me about that before I got hospital number three. And I remember <laughs> kind of like rolling my eyes thinking, what's the big deal? You just figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> So in my mind, I'm like, let's just do it. I mean, you know, we have the system, let's go. Um, so luckily I have people in my life who are very much better at thinking through these things than I am. And they're <laughs> able to see things coming and, you know, kind of prepare me. And um, I did hire a business consultant um, at the end of last year and I meet with him weekly and he has been so great because not only has he created this organizational structure for me, but he's been very clear to identify the different phases of growth that we had planned for this year. And, you know, when this happens and this one builds out, then you need to add this layer to it. And, you know, and he, he kind of walks me through what that organization is going to look like, understanding that my end goal I mean, it truly is that this would become a worldwide organization. And so my thought is we have to learn how to grow because that's, that's the plan for us. I mean, that's what we're going to do. And so we have to figure it out. And, you know, so I'm hope, you know, I'm just lucky enough that I have people in my life who can help me do that. This is fascinating to me. And I know there's a lot of people listening that are kind of in similar mindset of just listening to how you've grown the business and the challenges and adapting to different situations. And um, are, are you, when you're approaching these different centers, are you staffing them? Or are you just training people in, in their facilities to, to get up to speed with the kind of maple tree philosophy? We actually have two options for them. So the first is a turnkey option where we go in and we staff them and, you know, it's a maple tree that we plop down and we just go from there. Um, and then we also offer a licensing option where the hospital could kind of purchase the license to put in a, a maple tree, kind of like a franchise, but I've been told it's not exactly a franchise. I can't use that word, mm. but I don't know. <laughs> um, you know how people get all weird about words. <laughs> um, so we have those two options. I will say not a single person has been interested in the licensing option. They all want us to do it, which is really where that university um, partnership came from because I thought, okay, so, you know, we're, we're in the Dayton area, but now we're growing in Pittsburgh and now we're growing in Cleveland and Tampa and San Francisco. And me as a professor, I have contacts with other exercise physiology professors in the field. And so why not partner with them and ask them who their students are that could be a good fit and then kind of have that be a referral network for staffing purposes. Um, and so that's really what led to the creation of what I like to call as Maple Tree University. Um, because, yeah, I mean, it's hard to drop down into a city that you've never been to before and you don't know anyone and try to fill an office. Do you have um, challenges where people actually, you know, it, it's hearing your numbers. I'm like, OK, I do research and trying to get participants can be a nightmare at times. So what does that look like on, on the participant or client level and people coming in? Do you find challenges in people trying to get to your service or, or even have interest in doing it and all that stuff? Yes, yes. In fact, before this quarantine began, we had a waiting list at every single one of our centers. Um, one center had a waiting list with more than 100 patients on it. That is, it just, it boggles my mind. Because like consistently across the board, us doing research, it's like trying to pull teeth sometimes trying to get people enrolled. And I'm I'm like, what what is it? What are you doing that's different in in the in the most <laughs> respectful way? You know? Uh, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I always say, I mean, the fact that we can do this here in Dayton. Dayton is not the exercise capital of the world. <laughs> so I feel like. You know, we can do this. We can do this anywhere. But it's true. I mean, I think we have just been so embraced by the oncology community. And it's not just us reaching out to the patients, but it's the oncologists and the nurses and the social workers and everyone. And, and not only that, but patients talk to each other whenever they're getting their chemotherapies. And, 
you know, one patient will basically refer another patient to us. And so it's just been something that has really snowballed in the area. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's been really cool to see. I, I just, it, I cannot wrap my head around how just like how nonchalant it is yeah we've got loads of people at every center (laughs) (laughs) so um well thank you for that perspective because you're right you're right and i and it is something that i can just i think i've been so used to it because we've had a waiting list i mean for for the almost a year now it's just been a consistent waiting list that to us we're like oh we need to get this waiting list down and it's like stressful for us because we just want to get everyone in the doors and so thank you for that perspective is is that i mean look i'd much rather have a waiting list of 100 plus people than be banging on every door be like does anyone want to do a research study (laughs) um do you think there's a value then in in having that kind of one day approach a week is is that a way of kind of helping you get more volume in in terms of number of people i think so and we still are able to be such huge improvements, even with a one day a week that I feel like it does kind of add some validity to that. Of course, I would love to see them three days a week. Um, but I just don't think it would be possible. I think I think we would burn mm. if, if that were the case. I mean, we would go from goodness, a, a thousand appointments a week to 3000 appointments a week. And I we just we don't have that we don't have like a 50,000 square foot space. I mean, the most, most of the time we're in a, like, you know, 200 square feet. So it's not that big. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think it, it's such a, a practical perspective of, of taking the ideal and scaling back from that based on resources, funding, all that stuff and a way of delivering what you can to, to as much people as you can. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's my goal is just to help as many people as possible. And we've really been able to utilize social media and online platforms to serve people who maybe don't have a maple tree nearby or who are homebound or, you know, whatever. Um, and so we do offer a lot of classes that way as well. And that has definitely helped because we have a lot of our current patients that participate in the online program as well. And um, so that's been good because I think that helps to keep them moving and active and engaged even in the breaks between, you know, the one one session a week. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned your faith there a little bit. Do you do you think that's a, a big component or does it come up a lot with with having your clients come in the door? Is that something that they recognize and, and you know, are drawn to? I think so. Um you know, I, I kind of keep it as I, I try to compartmentalize maple tree as much as possible. And so, you know, we offer the exercise services, we have nutrition education, and then um, we're, we're faith-based, which kind of underlies everything. And if someone comes to us and they just want exercise and they don't have any questions on nutrition, they don't have any questions on faith, then we just do the exercise piece. However, if they come to us and they say, well, I've been really considering a a plant-based diet, what do you think on that? Then we would share. Um, And I kind of view faith as the same way. Like if someone comes to us and they have questions or they just, you know, just want to talk to someone, well, then of course those resources are available to them. Um, But we understand, um, and especially some of these bigger cities where we are um, growing into that, you know, some people just, that's not a big part of their life. And that's totally fine. It's, you know, it's, it's just, we will serve you in any way that we can, that will help you. And if you just want the exercise piece, then that's good. Um, but you know, if you do have questions and we're available just to, to talk and to share and, you know, my goal is just to inspire and to provide hope in any way that we can. Okay. So now the big question, um, a lot of academics will be listening to this and being like, how how are you doing this as a professor not to mention your little army of people um how <laughs> how do you balance that with with your obligations to to the and i'm sure right state are super supportive of what you're doing but how, what does that look like for you oh that is a good question um you know every day i 
I have a list of things that I want to get done. And it's just really being intentional day by day by day. And, you know, knowing what the priority is for that day. And there are some days that I teach three classes in a row. And so I know that on those days, it's not the smartest thing to plan writing a huge grant. Um, but I can answer emails that day and make sure that I'm caught up on those in between my classes. And, you know, there's, there's things, there's still pockets of time throughout. And I think there's one thing that I've learned having so many kids is that any pocket of time you're given, you have to make the most of it. I mean, when I was trying to get onto the Zoom call with you, I was grading labs that my students had turned in. And so I try to utilize time as, as good as I can and just stay as organized as I can and and know that at the end of the day, I, I may get everything done on my list for that day, but, you know, I might not. And that's okay. Just I go into the next day and I try my best on, you know, it's just trying your best every single day. I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. But no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. really how it goes. <laughs> um, I, it's not perfect, yeah. but I try. I want to come back to that. Um, but it top popped into my head as we're talking about the grants. Um, you know, with NIH and things like that, we're, we're looking at trying to frame the language around we, we want to target the specific outcome and here's the rationale and mechanisms why we think it might work. With, with your community's type of grants, is it that level of detail or is it more broadly we're trying to help the community and well-being if you understand or kind of understand what i'm asking yes yes you know some of the grants want a little bit of research um but i will say i quickly learned that it is not the level that nih is looking for or american cancer society or any of those and so even being able to speak the language of research sometimes puts you so far and above beyond anyone else that's applying for that grant that they're just so impressed. <laughs> I mean, I remember having a, 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 an interview with one of the foundations that wanted the quote unquote research. And I was just answering their questions very honestly, but I mean, you know, have a background in research and I love research. And so I was just, kind of walking through the steps and they just looked at me and said, well, I guess you really do know how to do research. This is amazing. <laughs> Most people don't even know how to do, how to calculate means. And <laughs> so, you know, I mean, there is that, but um, most of the time the community grants are more project oriented. And so the fact that we don't charge our patients for the services that we provide usually opens the door right away for them to want to get on board and help. And, you know, if we share patient testimonials and a story and get an oncologist to write a letter, usually it, it's a pretty simple process yeah. for us. So you, you were kind of talking about how you manage all these different elements of your life. Um, how do you manage, not necessarily your stress, but how do you avoid burnout? How do you stay fresh? Because the, the immediate taught of people when they get into this field it's like this is really exciting i want to work with people with cancer and then the reality hits of just how hard this work is and you're constantly being a champion you're constantly you know trying to fight against kind of misconceptions and things like that and that's exhausting and so how do you manage all of that in, in your own life i think for me i really enjoy that part of it that part's my favorite part um, it's the day-to-day -day and the managing of staff and, you know, internal communication and bleh, that's, <laughs> that stuff burns me out. That burns me out. Um, and so, you know, I think what did it for me was um, right before we opened our office in Brazil, my husband and I went there for a couple of days. And that was the first time I had ever been out of the country. Like I didn't even have a passport wow. for this trip. And the chance to see, so this woman found me on the internet and reached out and said, Hey, I want to start a maple tree. You know, can you, can you help me? And it just turned into this wonderful friendship. And I met her friends and her community. And I got to see these people um, in, in her city getting chemotherapy. And they were like, sitting on the floor and 
And I just remember standing in that room, just crying for these people and thinking, you know, this is why what we do matters. I mean, I can't stop. Even if I were to get burned out or even if I was to have a rough day, I have to pick myself back up the next day because I think it matters too much. I remember seeing that chemotherapy bell and I just, I was just weeping and I, and I thought, how does anyone get to the point where they can even ring this bell when they have to wait months for their treatment and they have to sit on the floor to get their chemotherapy? I mean, what hope do they have? And I don't know. I just, I left there with this renewed sense of purpose and this renewed vision for what it is that I believe I've been put on this earth to do. And I'm just going to, you know, do my best to see it through because I think it's so important. Mm. Well, you're doing a lot of really cool stuff. <laughs> I don't know how you keep all the, the balls in the air and, and keep juggling everything, but it, it's fascinating to hear everything you got going on. Um, oh, thank you. Give me some advice to some of your college graduates who are like, I want to be a cancer exercise trainer. I want to do what you're doing. <laughs> what do I do? Mm. You know, I think this is a field that to succeed, you have to be called to do it. Like, I believe that. Um, and, and if it is a calling, I say just go all in and, and give it everything you've got because I think there's a lot of people in this world who need this help. And it's so, it's so important. I think initially I would discount the importance that it had because you were not safe. We're not, you know, curing cancer. We're not giving the chemotherapy. And so I would kind of downplay it. And I remember whenever I was doing, I did a Ted talk on, on exercise oncology and right before my talk, one of the, one of the people who kind of walked me through that process and was a mentor to me said, you know, I think your talk is going to change a lot of lives. And it was the first time that I ever really saw what we're doing as something that really can change lives. And, and I think understanding the significance of that, just, you know, use that and, and go all in and, and, you know, you're going to make a big difference in this world. I love that. That's such a good, I suppose, closing message. Um, but where... And um, people are going to be interested in what you're doing. Where could people find you, keep up with you, reach out to you? Yes, um, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. So it's Maple Tree Cancer Alliance. And you can check out our website. It's just www.mapletreecanceralliance.org. Brilliant. So I'll link all those and, and you can find Karen on there. But other than that, Karen, I really appreciate your time. I think it was such a good chat. And uh, I wish you all the well with all the best with what you got going on in the future. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was great talking with you.